Well, as a church, we are moving through a series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you are familiar with it, it's probably Jesus' most famous teaching. Many of us, even if you've never been in church before, are familiar with at least parts of it, sections of it. And Jesus teaches on very practical things. And if you've been here for this series, you've kind of heard us remind you every single week. He talks, Jesus talks in his sermon about things like uh, anger, money, marriage, divorce, worry, very, very practical things. So now today, as Jason just said, like if you're, if you're again, if you're here for the, for the first time today, you're here on a, on a great day because we're going to be talking about this whole idea of judging others. But more than just talking about it, we're really leaning in. That's what I want us to do today is lean in together and listen to Jesus because this is so important. Jesus is teaching us, his church, about what it really means to judge I think it's probably no surprise to you when I say that the church is, um, well, not just the church, but maybe more specifically uh, people within the church, people who would claim to be followers of Jesus, we have a reputation for being judgmental. And it isn't a good reputation. If there's anything that the church should be known for, it should be for how well we love others, for how well we love people. But unfortunately, in the eyes of a lot of people outside of the church and maybe even um, people within the church, uh, many times we are not known for how well we love people, but rather by how well we judge people. I found a study, uh, according to a Barna study done a few years ago, I think we have the stat for you, yeah, 87% of millennials who don't go to church say that they see Christians as judgmental and 85% see Christians as hypocritical. I, when I was looking up research for this, I figured it was gonna be a pretty high number, but to me, 87% was just very, very high. I didn't think it would be quite that high. To me, it's pretty, it's staggering, but not fully surprising, because this is the narrative that the church seems to have attached to it. We're a judgmental group of folks. And just so you know, like, it's, I think it's, if you're anything like me, we can sit here, we can hear a stat like that and be like, man, that's like really sad. That's not, that's not me, that's not us. And, I, and this, of course, the stat is not talking about the way specifically, it's talking about the church, the global church in general. So don't iso- let's not isolate ourselves from this. Let's just consider that this is talking about the whole church, Christians within the church, that this is the reputation, the vibe that we kind of give off We're just sort of judgmental folks. And so if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus today, my uh, prayer for us is that we really would just kind of like lean in or just like lean in and and, and really listen to what Jesus has to say today about judgment because he actually has a lot to say about it. So here's what we're gonna do today. Here's our our roadmap for our time together. First, we're gonna move through these verses just in order. We're just gonna move through the scriptures in order. And then at the end of our time, we're gonna just briefly consider a few ways we can kind of flesh this thing out because the goal is that we as a church would in fact be known by our love. That we as followers of Jesus, when people think of us, they know that we're safe people and that we would love them well. So before we get into the text, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for um, your word. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you saw fit to teach us so well. And so we just come before you right now and we invite you, Spirit of God, to speak. Give us ears to hear. Open the eyes of our hearts to understanding. And we just welcome you here. We pray this would be a pleasing uh, offering to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, when I was in middle school, I, well, I was thinking it was towards the end of my, yeah, it was the end of my seventh grade year, I ran for president of student council. I don't know if you guys have that here. I think you have like student body presidents. Anyways, you get the idea. Ran for, it was like a whole thing, you guys. Like I had a campaign manager. We had like posters. It was like, we had meetings at my house. Anyways, I won. (laughs) I'm still celebrating so many years later. (laughs) I won. Um, anyways, I won. And so we had a, it was a fairly large middle school. And so I got to oversee meetings in for my entire eighth grade year. And I was gifted with the gavel. This is the actual, this is my gavel. Student council president, 1997 to 1998. Do the math, if you will, maybe later. Don't get too distracted on the math. Um, anyway, so that's when I was student council president. And so I had this thing and... <laughs> I loved my gavel. Oh my goodness. I, um, this is going to make me sound a certain kind of way, but I loved like the power that it seemed to hold in a meeting because there was a lot of us, a lot of representatives from the, from the different grades that were in this meeting hall that we would meet in. And so whenever I would use it, I would call the meeting to order with it. I would adjourn the meeting. But the thing I loved the most about this is that when things got a little bit rowdy, like when we were talking about the eighth grade dance, that kind of stuff, (laughs) really important matters of student council. Um, Whenever everybody would get really loud and unorderly, I would bang the gavel and everybody would go quiet. It was amazing. There was like this authority associated with it. My daughter found this gavel um, maybe last year in my nightstand drawer and she pulled it out. What is this? And I told them what it was. I have since tried to use it on my kids. It does not work. They don't respect the gavel in any way, shape, or form. It's very sad, so it's just tucked away still in my nightstand. But here's the thing I was thinking this week as I was prepping for this and reading through these scriptures. I wonder for all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I wonder if all of us don't sometimes secretly wish for our very own gavel. What I mean by that is not necessarily the gavel itself, but like the ability to sit in like undisputed seat of judge. Like I'm the one who gets to make the call. I'm the one where like the buck stops with me. What I say goes, what I say is right is right. What I say is wrong is wrong. I wanna be the person who gets to make the calls. Because the reality is that you and I, all of us, every single day, you've probably done it already this morning before you were sitting here, we all make judgment calls. All of us do it. On a daily basis, we judge between what's right and wrong, between what's good and evil, between what's helpful, what's hurtful. We judge on far lesser things. That person shouldn't have worn that. That person shouldn't have said that. That means like we judge all the time. It's just, it's like, I mean, I know Jason was making a joke, but we're all probably pretty good at this. And some, and I mean, even, even if you're the nicest person here, we do, it's just the way that we're wired. We're constantly making decisions, judging. And Jesus knows that we're like this. He knows it, that we've got this propensity towards judgment. 
And so he's got some things to say about it. And I'm so grateful. I'm so, I mean, Jesus is just the best teacher. I'm just so grateful that this is in one of his messages that he would teach us about this. And so here is what we're going to do. The first thing we need to understand here in Matthew chapter 7 is what Jesus is saying and what he isn't saying. So let's look back at verse 1, Matthew 7, verse 1. It says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, this might be one of the most quoted verses in all of scripture, right? Like people use this verse all the time. Even if you've never been in church, you probably know that verse. It's probably one of the, maybe one of the most misquoted actually or misunderstood verses in, in scripture. But people love to use this verse. I have heard it used way out of context. And, uh, but people within the church, we love to use it against one another sometimes. And more often than not, when I've heard this uh, these words flying out of somebody's mouth, it's most often used um, as a weapon or a defense mechanism. Uh, I want to suggest to you that there are two different groups of people. This is just in my own mind, okay? Two different groups of people, I think, within the church who generally like to use this whole do not judge verse a lot, okay? And just now, just as I name these two things, just see if you can identify yourself in one of these two groups. The first group would be the ones who use the do not judge part to excuse their own sin. Like, don't judge me. I'm, just leave me alone. I'm good. It's the unchristian thing to do. Don't judge me. That's the first group, people who use it to excuse their own sin. Here's the second group. The ones who love to use this verse as an excuse not to confront sin. The ones who would say, listen, Jesus says, don't judge. So I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna stay out here on the fringes. I see a friend, they're doing some stuff. I know that is completely, it's just, it's not theologically sound or it's not the way of Jesus. But rather than lovingly talk to them about it, I'm just gonna stay out here on the fringes because I don't wanna come across like I'm judging. Some of you might be like, yeah, I knew that 87% of people didn't wanna come to church because of judgmental. I don't wanna be that way. So then we, 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 the, the, um, the pendulum swings in the other direction. And we're like, okay, well then I guess maybe the most loving thing to do then is just to not say anything at all. And we'll use this first and we'll hide behind it. I'm not gonna confront sin. And we'll use it like as, a, as an excuse. And so at first glance, if we just plucked this statement, do not judge, out of the Sermon on the Mount, just plucked it right out of the Bible, almost like a sound bite, right? Which is... <laughs> not the way to handle scripture. This lesson could seem fairly simple. Do not judge. Just so clear. That seems really easy. But in order for you and I to be good students of scripture, we have to put this into the rest of what Jesus is saying because it's not a soundbite. It was never meant to be a soundbite. It was never meant to just to be a one-off do not judge statement. He had more to say about it. So, when we read the rest of Matthew chapter seven, here's what we will find out. We'll find out what Jesus is actually saying. Here we find out that he tells us in the rest of chapter seven that there's a whole lot of discerning, a whole lot of judging that we're gonna have to do between some things. He tells us in verses 13 and 14 that we're gonna have to judge between narrow and wide gates. He tells us we're gonna have to discern between true and false prophets, between true and false disciples, between wise and foolish builders. And then we heard it read a second ago in verse six, there's this line about where we're gonna have to discern between giving dogs what a 
sacred and throwing pearls before pigs. We're going to get to that verse in just a second, and yeah, it'll be fun. But the point is, in the rest of Jesus' sermon, what he is doing is giving us permission to discern between all of these things. Jesus is giving us permission to make judgment calls. That's what he's doing. In fact, if we just kept on reading in the New Testament, we would see in many places, but specifically uh, John 7, 24, Jesus says this. He straight up tells us, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He tells us to judge. Okay, so if you're tracking with me, if he tells us in the rest of the chapter, if Jesus tells us in the rest of Matthew chapter 7 and in other places in Scripture like John 7, uh, he not only gives us permission to make discerning judgment calls, but he actually commands us to do it. What is this first line in Matthew 7 about then? Why would Jesus say, do not judge, if he goes on to tell us that we do, in fact, need to judge? Why would he do that? I'm glad you asked. Okay, in the Greek, the word for judge is the word krino, and here's what it means. It means to try, to condemn, or to punish. It could literally be translated this way. I decide, I think it good. I decide. That's what this word means. I decide, and I think it good or not good. Here's what it gives um, the picture of. It gives the picture of pulling somebody up before a crowd of people and pronouncing a condemning sentence on them. That's the word picture that we're supposed to get here. There's no love in it. There's no desire to see a person restored. There's no mercy attached to it. It is a much more vicious kind of judgment. It's the same word that we see uh, used in John chapter 8. If you're familiar with the story of this woman who gets caught in adultery, and she gets dragged, well, it's actually, she doesn't just get caught in the act of adultery, her and a man get caught in the act of adultery, but she's the one who gets pulled up before the crowd of Pharisees and condemned. And there was no love attached to it. They were not trying to see this woman restored. They were looking at her sin and just trying to viciously expose her. That's all it was. And that is the picture that this word, when Jesus says, do not judge, that's the kind of junk he's talking about. That is what he's saying. Don't do this. This is not a word where Jesus is saying, oh, it's, you shouldn't have a fair trial. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about condemning somebody, judging somebody when there is no justice involved. It's just vicious. It's only unmerciful. So what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 7 is correcting that kind of judgment that was prevalent, especially among the Pharisees at the time, but I would suggest is, can be prevalent among us as well. Whenever we have a judgment against somebody else that has, we're not seeking to reconcile. We're not doing what's in the best interest of the person. It's just the kind of judgment that just like loves to point out sin. You know that kind. It's just, and this, and this is the thing, this is, this is what Jesus is calling wrong, and this is the kind of judgment that the world often looks at us and sees in us. This thing where we're like, oh, this person is wrong, we just want to bring them up, expose them, and walk away. And what Jesus is saying is, no, this is not the way of Jesus. It's no wonder that people wouldn't want to come to church if that is actually the way that we treated them. But Jesus is also saying, he isn't saying that we're never to judge. We are to judge. What he's saying is don't, 
be a critic. John Stott has this great quote. I want to read it to you. I think we have it for you. It says this. It doesn't mean we shouldn't assess people critically. We do that all the time. There are certain people we shouldn't go into business with, certain people we shouldn't trust, certain people we shouldn't let watch our children. That's wisdom, and Jesus is for that. But rather, that we shouldn't be a critic. The critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. The command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus is not stripping away our ability or our responsibility to exercise discernment. That's not what he's doing. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is this, and we we all need to hear it. Don't be a critic. Don't be unjustly critical towards other people. Far more what we're supposed to do is like lean towards generosity in our assessment of people. Like when we're given the choice, always lean towards mercy in our handling of people. And this is actually what Jesus is referring to in verse 2. When he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's saying, like, when we're caught in our stuff one day, don't we want to be treated with some measure of generosity and kindness? Where people approach us when we're caught in our sin with love towards us, wanting to see us restored, not just wanting to pull us up before a crowd, expose us, swing the gavel, and walk away. He's saying, "Uh uh-uh, as for me and my followers, no, that is not what we're to do. We need to exercise generousness, generousness, generosity and kindness and mercy with other people. And here is the reality. And if if you process this and think this through, as I was kind of doing this week, I think that you'll understand this, that merciful judgment takes far longer Here's what I mean by that. When we're willing to sit with somebody when they've been caught in their stuff, to be merciful and to to handle it that way oftentimes takes way more energy and time and prayer and resources. It takes some commitment and some long suffering to walk alongside some people. It's not a quick thing, not always. It's not the easiest route. It is so, so, so much easier to do this. To just pick up the gavel, swing it, make our decision, and walk away and write them off. So Jesus here is saying, do not judge. And he's just addressing that thing in us that wants to just criticize, to have the gavel. Now, there's a precursor for all of this. It's all good and well to, to find out about judgment and criticism and not be a critic and all this. But there's a precursor for all of this. Jesus says in verses three three through five, and let's read it together. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from 
your brother's eye. Okay, so you have to um, just imagine with me a speck of sawdust. Ryan, my husband, um, I don't know if you know this, he owns a construction company, he builds houses. And so um, he often, well, not so much anymore, but he used to come home from work sometimes and he would, his eye, one of his eyes would be red because sawdust got, on, got in it from the job site and he couldn't see it. So he's like this and he'd come home and he'd be like, get a flashlight, I need you to look in there, find the piece of sawdust. I don't know if you have ever looked in, I, I have real life experience with this verse, okay, is what I'm saying. I don't know if you've ever opened somebody's eyeball and like with the flashlight looked around in there for a piece of sawdust. It is like, I had like, here, here's what it takes. Getting out the flashlight, like getting up in his business, trying to like, Kate, turn, like roll your eye this way, roll your eye that way. Here's the point though. Sawdust is so minuscule. Please hear this. Sawdust is so minuscule. You almost can't see it unless you are really looking for it. I'm gonna say it again, because this is not really just about sawdust. Sawdust is so minuscule, you almost cannot see it unless you are really looking for it in somebody else. You gotta be looking, trying to find something. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, we have a sequoia tree growing out of our own eye and we just can't see it. So here's the implication. What we tend to do is we just exaggerate other people's faults. We exaggerate their stuff and we minimize our own, right? We explain away our own. We're like, we're so understanding of ourselves. We just love ourselves. We're just like, oh, but you know, this is my situation. We just excuse our own stuff, but we are so harsh to others. We don't lean towards generosity with other people. We lean towards generosity within ourselves. We're so very kind to ourselves usually. You hypocrite, Jesus says. Says it to all of us. You hypocrite. It is a, it's a particular kind of blindness. Like it's a very destructive kind of blindness. When we have the ability to clearly, in quotes, clearly see the faults in other people but are completely unaware of our own. And so here's what ends up happening. Ignorance about ourselves leads to arrogance towards others. And so Jesus does what he has done the entire Sermon on the Mount. Again, he is just the best teacher. And he flips the script on us. And he's like, hey, that flashlight that you're taking to look around, to find that piece of sawdust, flip it around, point it at yourself. But he does it lovingly. And here's the point of this illustration that Jesus is using when we see the mess in another, like this is us as the church, you guys. When we see the mess in another person's life, our first gut reaction shouldn't be to go run and tell them, hey, did you know you have sin in your life? Our first reaction should be to turn and look at ourselves and go, Lord, I see this in their life, but would you expose anything in mine? We look again at ourselves. We get ourselves right with the Lord. When we see it, there's an offness in somebody else. Rather than jumping to judgment, we don't, it's not like we just harshly judge ourselves, but we just come before the Lord and we do like the psalmist says and say, examine me. Are there any unclean ways in me, Lord? Would you take them out, expose them? Show me, Lord. I don't wanna be blind. I don't wanna be blind but people will often misunderstand this. 
And they think what Jesus is saying here is ignore the speck and mind your own business. Ignore the speck, mind your own business. And this is why we hide behind this like do not judge thing and we don't wanna confront sin and we just need to ignore it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Not at all actually. What he's actually calling us to do is to help one another. This is so good church. He's calling us to help one another. He says this, remove your own plank first. He doesn't stop there. Remove your own plank first. And then he gives us permission. He says, then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus isn't telling us to just stay off silo to the side and just to mind our own business. He's calling us to help one another in community. Daryl, Pastor Daryl, has this great quote and by the way, if any of you were at Worship Central Conference this weekend, Pastor Daryl was there and he pastored our generation so well. Um, thank you, Pastor Daryl. We are so, so blessed to have you as part of our church. But he says this about these verses. He says, we owe it to one another as fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, as fellow members of the body of Christ, to let one another know when we have gotten off the rails. It is just that we need to deal with our own off-the-trackness first. Jesus is not telling us here to ignore sin in other people. In fact, we do a disservice to one another if that's the habit that we get into. James 5, 19 through 20 actually tells us the very opposite. This is the message version. It says this, my dear friends, If you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Galatians 6.1 also says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So please hear me when I say to you that confronting someone who has gone off the rails may very well be the most loving thing we can do for them. Once we've examined ourselves first, gotten ourselves right, and going to them and confronting them may be the most loving thing we can do for them. I know that uh, some of y'all don't know my story. Some of you do. You've been here to have shared it at church before. But when I was a teenager for about four years, I went off the rails. And there was a particular night where it all kind of came to a head in my life where it was kind of like, pick a path. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am that God surrounded me with people, friends and parents, who were not afraid to, full of love and kindness and grace, confront me and remind me who God made me to be. It was not a spirit of judgment or condemnation. They were totally committed to seeing my restoration. Totally committed. And I, can, I, 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 I don't even know how to tell you that I'm so, so serious when I say, I don't know where I would be if God hadn't surrounded me with those kind of people, if they hadn't been brave enough to confront me. I'm so grateful that there were people brave enough to tell me, to remind me who God had made me to be, who I really was when I was just wrapped up in lies. We remove our own planks first, and then we graciously, as the body of Christ, we help one another compassionately. Last verse, verse six, the fun one. 
Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay. This is, admittedly, a very hard passage of scripture to understand at first glance. Uh, And I have to be honest with you, scholars and commentators, they all, I don't think any two agree on what this means. I mean, there is such a wide, diverse view of, of what this could possibly mean. So some think that Jesus is specifically talking about those times when, um, as a follower of Jesus, we might keep on offering the gospel to someone over and over again, but that person maybe is defiantly um, and mockingly rejecting the gospel. Like, but we just keep trying, but they're just in defiance, mocking, there's a lot of rudeness associated, but we just keep trying. Second group that scholars think Jesus could be talking about is those times when we see people who see somebody who has perhaps gone off the rails, maybe even within the church. And so what we do is we try to persistently help, persistently help, but our help is regularly kind of, you know, shoved off to the side, like rejected, almost out of a spirit of defiance. Like, I do not want your help, do not need your help, I do not want to listen over and over again. Now, as I already said, it's, it's as though no two scholars seem to agree on what Jesus is saying here. I do just want to point out, though, that for the people who were sitting there on this mountainside listening to Jesus teach, the first century listeners, they would have understood what Jesus was saying. But for you and I, we're just um, so far removed from their worldview and their context, it's very hard for us to, to fully understand it. But here is what I want to suggest to you, okay? And I've run this by our teaching team, so I feel okay in in offering this up to you. So this is a suggestion. I want to suggest that regardless of what exactly this illustration means, the point, the overarching point of what Jesus is saying here is very, very clear, and it's this. It's the same thing he's been saying in all of chapter 7 so far, and it's that we need to regularly exercise discernment not just in helping other people, but also in when we are to help others. Because there may be times when the right, because this, this whole picture of the dogs and the pigs and everything, there's a, um, a connotation of like persistence, persistently offering something. And so there may be times when the right thing, the thing that God is asking of us is just to back off, just back off for a little while. This is why having a real-time relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important, by the way. I so hope that we have, as a people, are moving out of like, you know, these five to 15-minute moments with the Lord in the morning where that's just it. That's, That's the sum total of our relationship. But that we're moving into this place where we're like, he is part of our regular thoughts and conversations throughout the day. Like, he's just always there. Just, you're just all, as you're driving, as you're at work, as you're at the dinner table with your kids and your family, when you're dropping off your kids at school, whatever your thing is, that he's just always there and you're just in regular conversation with him. I'm not saying it has to be out loud. You do you. Maybe it is. But I'm just saying, like, for me, it's just in my heart, in my spirit. So whenever it comes to this kind of a thing, having a real-time relationship where you are in conversation with the Holy Spirit, where you are able to hear him when he tells you that, hey, maybe the most harmful thing in this moment or maybe the most helpful thing in this moment is for you to just back off right now. 
just back off this person. Not for always necessarily. It's not a forever thing, but for now. And so we need the Holy Spirit's help not only in discerning um, how we help others, but also in when, when we help others, and also when it's just time to back off. I'm gonna go ahead and call up Aaron and Jamie. And as we close, I just wanna have just a couple of thoughts on how we flesh all of these big ideas out in Christian community here in our church. How do we flesh this thing out? So here's just four very, very practical things, okay? Four practical things to remember when we feel like judging. First thing is this, clear your eyes. Clear your eyes. We ask the Holy Spirit to shine that light back on our own stuff when we are tempted to just look at other people. This is such a good practice to get into, by the way. Whenever that thing rises up in you, maybe you're in a conversation with a friend or a spouse or whatever, and you just feel yourself leaning towards critical judgment. Holy Spirit, let it be that you would trigger our hearts, arrest us, and remind us that we ourselves are not perfect. And the question to ask is, do I, Lord, have a log in my own eye? Show me. So that's the first thing, clear our eyes. Second thing, measure generously and mercifully. And when we deal with other people, we remember how we want to be treated. Those times when we ourselves have gone off the rails, remember it. Remember what it felt like to feel alone and isolated and judged. Remember how you ached for somebody to show you kindness and mercy and compassion. And listen, I'm not saying tolerance. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying lovingly, lovingly being merciful to somebody. Third thing is we need to exercise discernment. Remember, Jesus isn't telling us that we're not supposed to judge. If you are um, new to church today, Maybe it's your first time inside of a church. We are so happy you're here, and maybe you were hoping that the message would be, that, that's it. We're just not to judge ever, period, end of sentence. But there's actually so much kindness in the way that Jesus is asking us to judge. Because it's much more this idea of just helping one another. I think of my husband and I, when one of us notices that we're getting a little off track. And I made a commitment to him on our wedding day to be with him good times and bad, but also I, I'm so grateful when he points out some of those things. Hey, Alita, have you considered this? I'm like, oh, thank you. And vice versa. Ryan, hey, <laughs> have you noticed this? And that's what we do. We're not trying to hurt one another, we're trying to help one another. We have this, this goal to become formed, to be like Jesus. And so we do that in community. We exercise discernment. We judge others only in the right way and with the right spirit. And listen, if we cannot do it in love, don't do it. Just period, end of sentence. 
exercising discernment enables us to go after people in the right way. Fourth thing, last thing. Remember who really holds the gavel. Because it's not us. It's not you, it's not me. As much as we might wish it is, God alone holds the gavel. And this is good news because it doesn't rest on our shoulders to be the judge and the jury, to get to decide what's ultimately right and wrong. He decides, he knows, and this isn't ours to swing. So I just wanna pray for us today. I'm gonna invite you to stand. Some of us have been prone to unjustly and very swiftly judging others. And I think one of the funny, like, spiritual isms that we do in the church is we're like, no, 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 I just have the gift of discernment. It's like, no, you just have the gift of criticism. <laughs> like, <laughs> and guys, like, it's, it's funny, but we also need to ask for forgiveness from the Lord for it. It doesn't bless him, and it certainly does not bless the people around us. Let's call it what it is when we're being critical. Let's not hide behind spiritual words. And some of us, and I'm including myself here, we have made just, you know, unloving, unjust calls about people. And it's severed relationships, families, friendships. And perhaps it's caused some people outside of the church to be disgusted by the church. And so my prayer for us today is that we can embrace this way that Jesus calls us towards, which is not to be shy from helping one another, but it's also to rightly, bravely, with kindness, judge one another in an uncritical kind of way for the good of the church, for the good of others. So God, we ask you just weed out that judgmental spirit. And I, I, I know it's in me too. I know it. And I don't like it. So we invite you to do the good work today, Lord. Of weeding out that critical thing in us. We want to stand before you with pure and holy hearts. We want to look on our brothers and sisters with kindness and compassion. Help us to lean towards generosity in our dealing with other people. We love you, Jesus. We invite you to do the good work.